Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 26, Astrological Magic with Christopher Warnock. In this episode, we speak with Christopher Warnock of Renaissance Astrology about what astrological talismans are, how to make them, a little bit about his lineage and path, about theurgy, ethics, gardening, killing rats with talismans. We rag on materialism a little bit. We talk about why he's not allowed to give astrological readings in his home state because he's a lawyer on the side, and how he thinks Neoplatonism and animism are the same thing, and how he's a lumber, not a splitter. We have a lot of fun and laugh a lot, and it's really a great episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Also, we have a Patreon, and you can help support this podcast if you are enjoying it and want to see more good episodes by going to patreon.com slash plantcunning and signing up. Thank you. Okay, welcome Christopher Warnock to the Plant Cunning Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Wow, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's an honor. So you're basically the foremost astrological magician in the English-speaking world, Um, but you're also like a lawyer. And I was wondering, like, how did you come, how did you get from being a lawyer to being an astrological magician? (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny because... Um, I actually got in trouble for this, with my state bar. So Ooh. I just have to say at the outset that I have to keep these sort of two identities completely separate. Oh. Right. So basically what the settlement I reached with the bar was that in the state, I'm a lawyer, but I don't do any readings for anybody in my state. And I really, in, or, and I can't sell them talismans either. Well, I don't, I basically, I don't, you know, I don't do any astrological stuff in my state. And then outside the state, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just an astrologer. Wow. So sort of at the state line that I kind of flipped my identity, but they were very skeptical. They were like very not too happy about me being an astrologer. So hmm. they came after me and I sort of fought them off with the first amendment. And, but that's the, that's kind of the, the, the settlement that we reached with them was that they said, you look, you got to keep those two things very separate. So for example, if someone says, Oh yeah, it'd be really great to have ask you a horary question about my legal case. I can't do that. Wow. So once after you, yeah. Once somebody has been a legal client, I can't have them an astrology client and vice versa. And so, and because I'm in, I'm in, I, I'm in my state anyway, I wouldn't be able to have anybody out of state because I, mean, I don't know what, how their law works in those. But, mm-hmm. um, so I have those two separate. So basically what happened was, um, I, it, it actually are connected because originally I was uh, uh, practicing as an attorney and I had a case that involved the definition of a month. And it Ooh. was, you know, you could either get jury trial if it was a, the, the statute said that jury trial, you get a jury trial if it's 180 days. And if it was more than 180 days, you got a jury trial, if that was the punishment. And um, I had uh, some offenses that were six months. And I said, well, these, any six months, if you count them up, they're always going to be at least 181 days. And the judge is like, no, he tried to try, he wanted to deny the jury trial. So we took it up on appeal and everything. They said, no, a month is the amount of time it takes the 
you know, uh, moon to orbit the Earth, and that's irregular. And the Gregorian calendar, it's you know, 28, you know, 30 or 31 days, and any consecutive six months is going to be more than 180 days. So that it actually had sort of an astronomical sort of thing to it, and that kind of got me interested in this whole idea of celestial cycles. And um, you know, that's one of the things. At the same time, I was also a spiritual seeker, so I was trying out all these different areas. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how that. But actually, so it did sort of develop out of it. Um, I probably would have been maybe smarter. I was a little naive. And, and uh, there are lawyers that, that are astrologers, but they usually have a, a pseudonym. So maybe that would have been a wiser thing for me to do uh, as opposed right. to coming out and admitting it. But it's just one of those things. I mean, everybody I've ever mentioned that to is just like aghast. Yeah. But once you get into any, if you're talking about the elite, whether you're talking about uh, academia, whether you're talking about uh, scientists, or you're talking about, you know, government or something like that, they are pretty diehard atheistic materialist nihilists. And mm. so you're really not, it's okay to be a Catholic or something because they have a bigger lobby. But right. if you actually take this <laughs> stuff seriously, if you think that there's a spiritual realm, that there's spiritual entities, that is just not acceptable, you know, yeah. and it's, it's okay. It's okay as a kind of amusement, right? And New York Times does these articles on it. But, you know, for example, in New York, the state, it's actually a felony to, to be an astrologer. If you say it's true, if you, wow. if you go around saying it, if you say it's false, if it's just entertainment, then it's okay. But mm-hmm. otherwise it is a felony in New York to be an astrologer. If you, if you want to say it's, so that's why they'll say for entertainment only. Have you ever seen that? Sometimes yeah. That. Well, but, we're, um, in, we're in New York, so we're probably going to have yeah, to watch it. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, it's yeah. usually not a problem unless, um, you know, it's sort of under the radar. You know, and, and what happens to the New York Times is big on this sort of psychic fraud. And what mm. people will do is they go to the psychic and say, oh, there's a cloud hanging over you. You need to pay me $10,000 to take it off of you. So mm. there's there's fraud that goes along with that. But it's not to say every psychic is a fraud or every astrologer is a fraud or whatever. But that's, again, if you have a, an atheistic materialistic worldview, which is to say that, you know, nothing exists except matter and energy, then obviously someone coming around and talking about astrology, which is spiritual, right? That's the connection. That's how it works. That's just either they're deluded or it's a fraud. I mean, you're yeah. either insane or, or you're a con man. And that's I guess the, the legal system would be a little bit more legalistic about that. <laughs> well, no, what they say is this, is that the predominant way the cases have gone, and this is how I was able to push the bar off of me, was um, the courts have said, look, it's not up to the government to tell people how to think. And right. it said, no matter how ludicrous something is, then, you know, people can think it or not think it if they want to. And in fact, the, um, the federal courts are split up into what are called circuits. And so the, there's a court of appeals for each circuit. And the eighth circuit that we're in, they have a, had a case that I cited to the, to the bar. And I, it just says, look, if you want to hire a fortune teller, that's your business. I mean, no matter how ludicrous anyone might think that is, it's not up to the government to decide what is true and what's not true in, in this circumstance. Um, so they're not saying it's, they think it's real, but they're saying, look, you need to leave people alone and let people think what they want to think. But, yeah. um, yeah. it's this, this whole idea that religion and science are coming closer together is not, is a, is a bit of a myth. Um, well, you know, because go ahead. Well, that goes back to like uh, some of the founding principles of America in, in general, like the, the religious freedom was such an important part of like Pennsylvania and Rhode Island and so on. Um, and, and now it seems as though materialism is a religion. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit like communism, which is a non-religion. I mean, science in general is a, is a non-religion religion. Yeah. I mean, people people have faith in it, you know, and, and follow it. And, and that's, it's, you know, that's, but they're, oh, it's not spiritual. Right. And that's the thing is like, it's, a, it's the same thing like quantum mechanics. I mean, yeah, it's still not spiritual though. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's right. one of those things of like, for example, most, most modern astrologers, if you ask them how it works, they'll say, well, string theory or quantum mechanics, which is not true or, or synchronicity, which is young. It's an acausal connecting principle. In other words, it's sort of a black box. Yeah. But it's, so I- yeah, go ahead. Well, I guess this would be a good I, time to get into what your worldview is and what is the traditional worldview of astrology. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because one of the reasons I was attracted to, to the traditional astrology, and that's another problem too, because traditional astrology, I used to use it as a synonym for medieval Renaissance and early modern European astrology, which is kind of a mouthful. And yeah. I call that traditional now it's basically grown up that that Hellenistic is involved in that. So it's like traditional is a little more, it's a little more, that's a kind of a confusing label. So basically I practice medieval Renaissance astrology. And so, um, so basically in common with pretty much every society before 1700 and every traditional society to this day, the view was that there, the spiritual realm existed and that it was really the underlying of material reality. And so if you really want to find the essence of something, you don't look to the material reality, you look to the underlying spiritual realities. Because the material stuff is like, if you think about, like if I conceive of a triangle, what I conceive of in mind is perfect. But when you draw it or you print it out or you, you, know, you make it out of something, it's always going to have imperfections because it's material. So the material is actually considered to be imperfect in the traditional view. So my, my again, my sort of view of reality, and this took a long time to get here, because I started off as an atheistic materialist, I think like everybody else, is sort of like the Japanese Shinto view, which is that everything is alive. I mean, everything has yeah. a spirit, everything is alive, and that we're, we're in, this, in this reality that's infinite spiritual beings, and, and, but unified ultimately, that everything is also, while it's diverse, is also ultimately one. Yeah. And it's like a hermetic or Taoist, you know, those are sort of the, um, the sort of the philosophical views, but um, so that's, and again, that's why, you know, for example, I have a, we have this big rock that's in the corner of our, of our yacht, not of our yard. And, um, you know, in the Shinto view, if it's a, like a, a, a big rock or an old tree or something like that, it's particularly, you know, spiritual. So I have like this, what's called a shimina, which is like a, a rope that you put on it. And that sort of demarcates it, but that's sort of where the genius loci in, of, of my yard is located. And so I do a little sort of gasho and everything to it when I, every time I go by. Um, and they have snakes. That's kind of like when you see the, I think it's the Lares or Panates, one of those spirits with the Roman sort of household gods, they always had snakes. So there's a lot of garter snakes. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's the spirit of the, of the, of the, you know, yard or the neighborhood or whatever. Mm. And, um, so that, and that's just part of my whole day-to-day thing. Um, and I think that that, I think that instinctively is attractive to people, but the problem is there's not like a philosophical, because if you say that it's like, you're crazy or you're irrational. You know, and it's like people say, do you believe in God? I'm like, well, it's like believing, saying, do I believe in Santa Claus? I mean, believing is, is I, I go along with something, even though I know it's crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't believe in God. I have experienced and I'm in contact with the spiritual realm with the one, you know, yeah. so yeah. that's kind of my difference with my view, because what, what really happened about 1700 was there was sort of a truce between religion and science. And so science is allowed to set 
the parameters of reality, which is there's nothing except matter and energy. And then you're allowed to be crazy on the weekend and go to church, you know, and, and have sort of this compartmentalized view. So I think that's the way a lot of people are. They're like, their basic fundamental worldview is atheistic materialistic, but layered over on top of it is maybe new age stuff or Christian or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it, so you end up with weird stuff like there's only one spiritual being and that's God. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no angels or anything like that or any other the intermediate beings. There's nothing else that exists. Everything is God. It's like, okay. Um, it's a little, we- it's a little sort of Protestant. But it's, <laughs> yeah. You know, Protestantism is basically giving up all the magical side of stuff and kind of, um, you know, I like, you know, for example, if you're going to be Protestant to me, it should be like an Anabaptist, like a Mennonite or, you know, yeah, like an Amish or something. Right. Yeah. They're super, super Anabaptist and they took it all the way. They're like completely right. no church, no minister, you know, no, um, you know, pacifist and everything like that. Whereas like Lutherans are like, well, we'll give up. We won't give up bishops. And, you know, there's this sort of level of like this far and no further that you know, it's basically Protestantism ends you up with atheistic materialism. Yeah. Well, so we have a lot of Amish neighbors and it's been really interesting to see their worldview. Um, and, you know, you kind of have this romantic idea of, of Amish, but then you see really like they're kind of exploitative of like the, the natural world and they, they don't believe in any other spirits. It's just God and the devil and them. <laughs> well, they're know? Protestants. Right. Yeah. And they take they're it to extreme the, yeah. Protestants. You know right. what I mean? They took it and they said, you know, we're going to start this impulse and we're going to go all the way with it. But yeah. the Christian stuff is not, I don't think there's any, most of your traditional societies, if they're living in harmony with nature, it's because they have no choice. Because mm-hmm. if they, if you overuse the, you know, if you go beyond the carrying capacity of land, you die. Right. You know, so you, you maybe end up with, but given the opportunity, anybody's going to be exploitative. Yeah. So that like, kind of, it's kind of interesting that like this materialistic worldview kind of came hand in hand with uh, fossil fuel exploitation, like using coal and then petroleum, you know, gained the ascendancy really, it seems to me in the 20th century, like bef- before the 20th century, um, you know, there was a lot more room for eccentric people, you know, and weird views. Even in oh, the I think there's States. a lot of room now. Yeah. You know, as long, I mean, I'm a perfect example of eccentricity <laughs> and I'm able to coexist. But I, I'd say here's what I would say is that I think that the current the atheistic materialism grows out of Christianity. Right. And so yeah. you have a lot of like the new age stuff, like, you know, for example, like, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what's, we're all, there's more and more people getting enlightened now than ever had before. And when we get a critical mass, then all of a sudden we'll all be enlightened and we'll be living in a utopia. And it's like, really all that is, is the Christian, you know, it's a rapture, right? right. Day of judgment sort of thing. You know, the, the Christian view was that there was a creation and there were going to day of judgment. So it's a linear process and we're getting better and better, you know, or, and, and that's like evolution. You know, right. it's like essentially this is so progress. Yeah, progress. I mean, that's that's a very much of a view like progress is the further we go in the back in the past, the more irrational people were and the worse things are. And the more we go in the future, the better things are. You yeah. Know? And and that's mm-hmm. very, you know, essentially a lot of times what I see with people is that, like, for example, I was doing the Zen stuff and the Z- American Zen is like, OK, I want a church with a Sunday school. But I just don't want to have to deal with this Christian stuff. <laughs> But otherwise, I want everything else. You know, you should be doing social welfare stuff. And I don't really believe, you know, we don't want any real spiritual anything. We just want to, you know, a community, you know, and we want it to be a little cooler. And um, because the people ask me that, what does Zen have for children? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> Zen, Zen is this very elite 
movement that was really only for a limited number of people. Right. And it's, you know, it's direct pointing to the nature of reality. And it's like only one in 10 million people can do that anyway, or is interested in it. And it certainly has nothing, there's nothing for children, nothing, mm. you know? And it's yeah. like, but that's, but that's their template is like, well, what about Sunday school? <laughs> well, you know, it's just one of those things, but I was sort of, I'm kind of out of touch with Americans then too. So it's like, I mean, it was, it's great. I mean, I had a really, I, the Japanese thing for me was really great. It was really interesting to be exposed to that. And like I said, Shinto, I went to Japan five times. So that was really, really interesting. And um, of course, the funny thing about Japan is that like traditional Japan is a little tiny little islands and the rest of it, it's all concrete. Huh. So it's like, we have this idea of all these Japanese people all sitting around meditating or whatever and wearing kimonos and, you know, tatami. And it's like, not really. I mean, modern Japan is cool, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's more modern than the U.S. It's, and it's concrete yeah. everywhere. It's, it's all urbanized. It's completely, the whole, the whole country is totally urbanized. Yeah. You know, so, so I've been wandering all over the place. So, so um, yeah, get me on track with another well, question. So, I mean, this is, I like wandering a little bit, but this is interesting for me because, uh, well, we had Gordon White on the show uh, an episode or two uh -huh. back, and we were talking about the difference between animism and Neoplatonism, you know, and how- Is there a difference? Well, so he, he was saying that basically Neoplatonism sees the material world as like the after effect of the spiritual. And so in this, and that kind of got mistranslated to being the material is bad. And the spiritual is good. You know what I mean? Whereas well, I, I, there's, that's very Gnostic. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right. Because the Gnostic thing is like horrible, nasty reality. I'm going to escape from, whereas a hermetic view is like, as you say, that, you know, that the, the one has manifested itself, you know, that the, the, the natural world is the living, you know, expression of the divine. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of like a lot of it has to do with your sort of like circumstances and your attitude. Like, because I mean, let's face it, material reality often or our, our, our manifested reality is awful at times. It's really horrific, yeah. but it's That's also really beautiful, yeah. too. Right? Right. right. And so it really just depends on where you, now I don't see a big difference between I'm not a big for like classifications and stuff. I mean, to me, uh -huh. the Neoplatonic is animism. Mm hmm that's not a huge difference between them. I mean, that, I mean, I'm more hermetic because uh -huh. her, hermeticism was more of a, it was, it's contemporary with Neoplaton, Neoplatonic, you know, first to third century AD comes out of the sort of combination of Greek and Egyptian, you know, Greek philosophy and religion and Egyptian philosophy and religion, right. Mixing. Um, but it's more practical. Essentially hermeticism is a, you'd have a master and then a group of disciples, right. And that was, it's basically, again, like Zen, you know, direct pointing to reality. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas Neoplatonism is very philosophical. Yes. So it just appeals to people like that. But really, when you look at it, ultimately, I don't see, I mean, you can get into all these doctrinal differences, right? Right. But if you've got the spiritual and you've got the one differentiating into the many, right, which is common to both of them. I mean, there's, and the same thing with animism. I mean, you don't have any traditional people that's polytheistic and thinking there's only a lot of different gods they always there's some unifying thing either a god or a principle or a unity right mm. all traditional societies then maybe not that into that ultimate god or that ultimate principle yeah it's not right? as practical for them nevertheless everyday. there's nobody that like a mo there's modern polytheists that think yeah there's just a bunch of gods i'm like okay where'd they come from you know to <laughs> me that the unity is just obvious right that there must right. be some unit unifying something or other yeah. And um, that's also the 
the traditional view too. I think all, any, I don't think you could find a traditional society that didn't have that unity. So, and that's the thing, it's unity and diversity. Yeah, that makes sense so, to me. Yeah, the one and the many. But I think that's an animistic view is that's what that is, you know? And it's also a little bit like, like, for example, it's like, oh, that's a fertility ritual. I'm like, get out of here. And that's, that's really like condescending to me. You know what I mean? And it's class, it's, it's that I do that academic thing of like, if I classify it and I can put it in a box, I don't have to think about it anymore. Right. I've got, I also got it under control. I mean, oh, that's X, Y, and Z, you know? And it's like that, whereas the reality of it is it's like, it's like a wedding, you know, oh, that's a fertility ritual. It's like, you think about the emotional, you know, if you actually, you know, you get married or you go to a wedding of your family member or friend, I mean, just that it just, the reality is so much more powerful than, than to be defined as, oh, that's a fertility ritual. You know, may, maybe it is, right? But that felt reality is so much more important, you know, than the, than the, than the, the bug on a pin thing. That's, I'm, I'm kind of down in academia and scientist. I mean, never, I mean, I find it a very useful approach, mm-hmm. right? It's good for background. But if you're a practitioner, you don't want to be dealing with the academics or the, or this, you know, that's not, that's not an approach because they're studying about it with the exception of like sociologists, like I love participant observer stuff, like sociology, that's really cool. Mm. You know, I was reading one, a couple of different ones. One was about a guy who was a, he was a, a guard at Sing Sing. And then someone else who was like a professor and she also worked in the sanitation department in New York City. So they both had this incredible um, kind of combination of being able to be uh, observers, right? And then coming from a sociology background, but also actually doing the thing. And so that to me is like the best way. That's part of the attorney approach too, because the thing about attorneys are that I'm a practical theoretician. And mm. particularly since what I f- focus in is what appellate, I'm an appellate attorney and really. And so I always have to be thinking about the philosophy and the theory and the law and the underlying precedent and everything. At the same time, I have a, a specific case in front of me. Or I have specific results I'm trying to work on. And so that's the way that kind of informs my magical practice as well, because I'm, I'm very fascinated with the theory and underlying, you know, and the sources and everything. At the same time, you're going to do it. You're going to, yeah. I want to make the talisman. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to predict. I want to look at the horary question. I want to look at the natal chart. So this, it's that, to me, that's the, that's hermetic too, because it's the combination of theory and practice. So, but that's what I would say about the, I don't really like to see so much the distinction. I'm less of an analytical person than a synthetic person. And that's what I would say is like astrology mm-hmm. is really, it's not about breaking things down to the smallest part. It's about synthesizing and seeing those underlying spiritual patterns. Yeah. So I think that's a sort of fundamental, but it's just a perspective. You know I mean? That's not to say that it's not very useful. Science isn't really useful. The analysis isn't, doesn't have its place. Right. But I think you just, you just want to find the tool that's appropriate to the whatever inquiry. And if you're trying to do practical stuff, you know, an academic approach is not probably the way you want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We want to get into more of the practical applications and things like that, but I'm also curious a little bit more about your journey and your history. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about your lineage and who some of your teachers are. Yeah. I have a, well, I'm big on lineage. Um, And so the, in in the astrology, basically, again, traditional astrology, what happened was, you know, um, astrology, at least in the West, basically uh, appears to have come from Babylonian Chaldea, diffused into the Greek and Roman sort of spheres. And then um, you know, the Dark Ages sort of died out in Europe. And then 
went to Byzantium and the advanced Islamic civilization, and they kind of created a new synthesis of Persian, Vedic, and Indian astrology, um, I mean, Hellenistic astrology. Um, and that's Arabic astrology, which say eighth and ninth century, then that went to Europe. So that's what I do is this Arabic astrology, essentially. And um, basically medieval Renaissance. Now that died out about 1700. And so about, about no, 1850, 1900, astrology started to come back, um, Golden Dawn, you know, Theosophical Society, things like that. And it came back essentially as a sort of like psychological astrology, it was a character analysis. And so there was a couple people that started getting interested in the medieval Renaissance astrology, which is much more predictive, right? It's not so psychological. Um, and uh, Olivia Barclay, she's English, was interested in hoary astrology. Hoary astrology was you look at the chart of a question rather than a birth chart. So if someone says, will I marry X? You take down the time that they you receive to understand the question and look at that chart. So it's interesting because it's very focused. It gives you a much more focused answer and it's much more precise than looking at your birth chart. Birth chart, it's really hard to figure out because you've got every single relationship in your whole life is in that birth <laughs> chart. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to know about a particular relationship, horary is better. So Olivia Barclay got a copy of a book called Christian Astrology by William Lilly, who's the, probably the most famous horary astrologer. And she's mm -hmm. got really fascinated with it and started teaching it. So she's the founder of that horary lineage. So her, um, she does like QHPs. That was with the little letters after their name. And so people like John Frawley, uh, Sue Ward, Deb Holding, um, they're all, there's a lot of people in that, um, in that lineage. So Lee Lehman was my teacher. Yeah, she's oh. great. The advantage I got from that was that Lee had, you know, was really smart. She's got a PhD in botany and, and she'd, she'd been in the lineage, had a teacher who taught her and she was very knowledgeable about it. And so she had a lot of practical experience as well as having the knowledge. So that was kind of very helpful for me. The other person um, who's kind of useful in the, in the lineages is Robert Zoller, who was teaching medieval natal basically through Guido Bonatti's uh, Libra Astronomia, Book of Astronomy. Um, and I didn't study natal astrology with him, but I did, he sort of got me going on the magical stuff. He helped me with the worldview and the philosophical orientation. And so I was sort of privately studying with him for a while. And he's been, a, he was a big influence on me in terms of my sort of teaching style and how I go about things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say my astrological lineage is. Now, what happened was that, um, this was back like 2000 or so. Um, at that time, nobody doing medieval Renaissance astrology, excuse me, wanted to have anything to do with magic. Yeah. And so I got, I, I did horary and then I got interested in electional astrology. So electionals, horary is like, will it happen? And then electional is like, what time should I pick? That's more suspicious for things like if I want to get married or, you know, if you want to do something, you want to pick an auspicious time for it. So they're kind of a mirror of each other, horary and electional. So I started doing electional and there's not a lot of, no one was really teaching it. There wasn't a lot of stuff on it out there. And then I kind of stumbled onto astrological magic, which to do astrological magic, you really need to do electional astrology. And that's yeah. what it's really about is choosing, a, 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 a astrological magic is essentially ceremonial ritual magic, working with astrological spirits using astrological timing. And so that's, but other than that, it's, it's pretty, you know, straight up medieval or Renaissance, you know, ritual magic. Um, and um, so no one else was doing it. So I like, okay, I like to do this. So it's interesting because my, my influence is a, a little bit invisible, but I, I'll, I'll just talk about it a little bit. Essentially what I did was 
the idea of let's look at this source, like, like Picatrix, which wasn't translated at the time, or say Agrippa's Three Books of Occult Philosophy, they have these recipes in there. And they'll say, okay, you want to make a sun talisman, make it in sun rising in Leo at sun hour. I'm like, okay, let's do it, which no one's ever done before. And then the idea of let's point to the source, let's pick specific factors, let's make sure those factors are actually in the chart, and then let's show the chart. That's sort of my infrastructure of it. And um, that's been pretty pervasive in terms of, I think, how people have approached it. And that, but I, I you know, it's sort of, I was thinking about that today. It's like a spark. It's not like I created all this, but I was kind of the spark that, you know, got it, or maybe that, you know, started the, the pebble rolling down the hill that turned into the avalanche. Um, but that's, to me, what's really key about it is that you want to have a methodology. And yeah. one of the things that I notice about modern, whether you're modern astrology or traditional, is that with electional astrology, when you're looking for times to do things, I think that what people typically tend to do is just start looking at charts. They just start popping up charts. And there's about 50 factors that they could potentially be good or bad in the chart. And what they'll do is they'll just pop up charts and a few of those things will pop up and they're like, okay, I'm going to use this one, right? Oh, look, that's void of course moon. Okay. I don't want that. Oh, look, this has got whatever. And as opposed to mine where I say, okay, sun, Leo, Leo, uh, sun rising, uh, sun hour. So what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, I'm going to only look at times when the sun is, you know, in Leo. So that's, you know, basically going to be August, July, August, right? Then I'm going to make sure that okay, sun rising, sun rising, sun hour can only be on a Sunday, right? Because of the way planetary hours work, they start at sunrise and the first day, the first hour of the day is ruled by the planet. So it can only be sun rising and in, in sun hour on Sunday, so like, okay, that gives us basically four or five Sundays to look at. Okay, let's look at those. So I have a very systematized way of doing it and I stick with the factors. So I'm only looking at say those four or five factors. I don't look at anything else, you know, is either positive or negative. I mean, there's some bonus stuff. Whereas again, what I think most people are doing is just sort of randomly picking a lot and they're looking at a, many, many different types of factors. So, yeah. and I'm not, that's not saying it's wrong, but it's just to me, you know, I think you want to have a methodology. Now, people will differ with me now that the community has grown up. There are people that have many, many more factors that they want to look at. I mean, I would, I try not to do more than four or five. They might be looking at 20, which what that awesome. means is it's much harder to find stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so, but the reality of elections is they're never perfect. I mean, an electional yeah. chart is a slice of reality. And what, what reality is ever perfect, yeah. right? And you just have to have a, you, everybody has their own level of how much imperfection they're going to allow. Right. And so, again, I'm not saying mine's the only way, but I think that it is useful to have a, at least have a conscious methodology. I think a lot of times what people have is an unconscious methodology. And so I think that that's a little problematic. Um, but that's their choice. I mean, that's again, with this, I, I would not come in and say that my way is the only way. That's my, my one of my big messages recently has been, look, I think there's about 10 sort of right ways and there's an infinite number of wrong ways, but no one right way. You know, and that's if you're an astrologer, you like to argue. I mean, yeah. that's like you go back to Lily or whatever those guys in the 17th century. They were having flame wars, like Twitter wars, with each other. Right? <laughs> it's slow motion because they would have to print it up. Oh they my god! Seriously, they have a pamphlet and they would attack each other. It's just like Twitter. I mean, it's exactly yeah. the same thing. So astrologers are just that's the way they are. They just like yeah. to argue about stuff. And you're a lawyer too, so you probably like to argue a lot. Well, I, I guess what I would say about it is that the lawyer. It's funny because people say, you know, like you fight for this. I'm like, I don't fight anything. All I ever do as a lawyer is convince people because I either convince the other side or I convince the judge. Mm. That's it. 
There's no fighting ever involved as an attorney. I mean, you need to state your case, right? But if you're fighting somebody, you're not doing your job very well. I mean, what you really want to do is convince. Yeah. Right. And so that's more of my, I think that's something that's, you know, that's the stance that I take. Now, that's not to say that I haven't gotten into conflicts, but I mean, I was, the, the lawyer stuff I've done, I'm pretty much specialized in landlord tenant law, which kind of was a happenstance that I sort of fell into. But what's interesting, because I started out doing lots of these class actions, and as soon as possible, I flipped into advising landlords myself, because that's much more effective. You know what I mean? If they're willing to go along with you, if you're advising them and they'll do it, it's a lot easier than trying to sue people into it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm not really a lawyer. I mean, I'm a social engineer. Yeah. I mean, that's really what I'm more interested in as opposed to like, because I don't do retail. I don't, I don't, when people come to me, it's not like I just, whatever comes to my door, I take, I'm looking for systemic problems and I'm looking to kind of correct those problems through a combination of using law, media, you know, and then also just convincing people, right. you know, and, and, and explaining stuff to people. So that's a really kind of cool thing to do. And the astrology has kind of allowed me to do that. You know, the astrology, it's just certain not has funded a lot of the legal stuff I've been able to do because it's allowed me to be free of having to just take every single case that comes along. That's really and cool. Can, yeah. And I can actually just choose, I can do things that I think are right. I mean, I, oh. if I don't like the case, I don't have to take it, which is a real luxury for a That is bit. nice. Yeah. So I'm curious how astrological magic has changed you as a person. You know, what I would say about it is that I've been kind of looking for the missing link between like making a talisman or invoking a spirit and enlightenment. Right. And I just yeah. I haven't quite gotten how to get from one step to the other. But what I would say about it is this is that, you know, I came like everybody from an atheistic materialistic background and that was so ingrained in me. And by doing you know, 5,000 horary questions and doing talismans, I realized that this stuff, it's true. I mean, it doesn't always work, but it works enough that you're like, wait a second. Anyone that says is only matter and, matter and energy are real, there's no spiritual realm, doesn't, isn't seeing, they're having to ignore huge chunks of reality. And that this is real. And um, it doesn't mean I believe in everything that happens or I'm totally credulous, but I'm like, you know what? The spiritual is a true reality. And I think that's yeah. probably the most important thing about it. Now, I also have to say that it's brought me, you know, I'm in good health, relatively speaking, you know, I have a nice middle class lifestyle, you know, I have this wonderful, you know, um, practice of astrology and magic. And I think all those I, I have to say that the astrological really not so much the magic in terms of like, doing a talisman and getting something, but mm -hmm. developing a relationship with these angels. Yeah. Developing a strong relationship with the celestial spirits mm -hmm. has been really, really beneficial to me. And that's what my, I'm really more of a celestial priest than an astrological magician. Mm. That's my focus is less on how can I get the stuff and more on how can I develop this relationship? And also there's a lot of that. transformation that goes along with it. Now that's not to say I, I haven't gotten stuff. I mean, I do think that again, my, my success has to a good extent stemmed from the astrological magic. So it's not just like, oh, well, it failed. So I'm going to come up with some, you know, explanation of why I didn't get what I wanted. But the focus on, oh, I got this talisman and it gets me what I want. That to me is less interesting than, you know, the, the spiritual, you know, stuff that you can do. And I'm working on it right now. I was thinking about that with the, what I call the celestial way, you know, because in Japan they have like Bushido, which is the way of the warrior, the Chano, you know, the way of tea, 
all the different traditional arts are spiritual paths. So I'm trying to develop uh, astrological magic or, you know, celestial devotion as a, as a spiritual path. I love that. So that's something that's a work in progress. Cool. But, um, cool. So, I mean, so magic is I, the way I see it is trying to get what you want, but it seems also like what you want is enlightenment or, you know, transformation. Yeah. I mean, this, I don't see a big differentiation between magic and religion. Hmm. I mean, cause you can, it's perfectly fine to pray. You know, like, oh, you know, heal me or whatever, heal my, you know, I mean, stuff like that is fine, you know, save the country, you know, whatever, that's, that's all fine to ask for stuff. And then the magical stuff has a spiritual component to it, it just inevitably, you know, so it really depends on your focus, you know, and a lot of it to me is like, I won't do anything malefic. I mean, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, just, you know, now I know how to do it. You know, but it's like, it's not, I'm not going to get into magical wars. I'm not going to get into this stuff like that. But, um, you know, um, I think that it's, um, you know, I just, like I said, I don't, I'm not a big splitter. I'm, I tend to see the commonalities of stuff. You know, not to say I can't see the difference, but I think part of it, religion is my, what I do and magic is what those other people are doing. There's a <laughs> lot of that that goes along with it. But, um, yeah. you know, people that come to me and say, for example, like, well, I, I want to win the lottery. I'm like, don't buy a talisman. <laughs> and just forget about it. Uh -huh. You know, it's like, that's not, unless you have a history of it and, you know, you're really good at it already and you just want to kind of enhance it. Cause it's like, and even then it's like, you just, it's unpredictable. You know, it's just amazing to me. I mean, I, I've, I've paid 70 pages of testimonials. You know, when someone emails me and says that, that something, you know, they like what happened. I'm like, great. Can I use it as a testimonial? And I just plunk it onto the page <laughs> and um, I need to update. It. I think it's mine's about a year old. I've got a bunch more, but you know, it's amazing the way, you know, lots of happy people, but it's like, if someone comes in, you know, I had someone who bought, for example, a Venus Talisman for a sister who was an artist, I think a musician and wanted to help her with music. And she got married like six months later. <laughs> so wow. It's like, it's Venus, right? Yep. But it wasn't what she was expecting. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you have this very focused idea of I have to have this, right, then you may well be disappointed, which yeah. isn't to say, though, it doesn't work. You know, it's just one of those things of, of you know, I, and I had another example. This is very early on. This guy did a Venus invocation and he's like, it's not working. It didn't work right. And he said, you know, what happened was while I was doing the invocation, I got a call from multiple old girlfriends. <laughs> then he said the next day I had a computer program that got stuck um, cause on the, on the, on the, the boot up page and the boot up page was from Botticelli's Venus. <laughs> wow. like, but it didn't work. The talisman didn't work. I'm like, well, I said, I think you got some Venus effects. And I said, I also, also don't think Venus appreciated you doubting her. And that's right. probably oh. why you got it stuck. But, <laughs> you know, getting contacted by people you used to have a relationship with or, you know, is classic Venus talisman stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like, but that's, um, the other thing with Venus talismans is that people say I, I felt more comfortable socially, you know, people were attracted to me that I was attracted to, you know, I was, you know, just having a really good time, you know, meeting all these people or going to bars or whatever. That's, that's very Venus. But someone's like, oh, I want my old boyfriend back. I'm like, forget about it. I mean, it's right. not really, I don't, I, I mean, it might work, but if you're like, I'm buying this talisman, so I get this result. And if I don't get that result, then the talisman's worthless. And the whole thing's actually just garbage. It's like, that's what I don't want to get into. So how do, you, how do you go about making an effective talisman? Well, astrological talisman, we were, again, you're dealing with just astrological spirits. And so what you want to do is to figure out what spirit do I want to be in contact with 
for the goal or the general you know area I'm looking for. You know, and then this comes up because people are like, it's funny because people send me their chart and say, which talisman should I get? And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? They're like, well, just tell me which best. I'm like, well, that's like saying what vacation, where should I go on vacation? What do you want to do? I just want to go on the best vacation. I'm like, well, what do you like to do? Yeah. Well, you tell me. Oh my like, God. I mean, it's sort of like, but it's also just like, okay, for example, like a Venus is strongest in your chart, you should get a Venus talisman. I'm like, well, Venus is for love, friendship, pleasure, you know, I mean, artistic. I mean, do you want that? And it's just like, I think it's just weird because new age stuff is like, you know, supposed to be free will, but people often want to turn everything over to the astrology. Mm-hmm. You know, want someone else to tell them what to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what's best? I'm like, well, it depends on what you want to do. But um, I've gotten to a point now where what I'll do is I'll be like, I say, well, I like this, you know, which is true. Mm-hmm. Like, I like a sun talisman. You know, mm-hmm. sun's good in your chart. I like this. I mean, the sun's a really good choice for talismans because it's good for a lot of different things: health, wealth, fame, promotion. So that's good. Mm-hmm. But um, I, you know, I, I gotten over. I'm willing to be more of rec- I do do recommendations because you know it's it's helpful for people. But to make a talisman, basically, what you do is you want to find it first of all. Find a time when that particular celestial spirit is strongest. You know. Um, it's sort of like visiting your friend when they're happy and they're, you know, when they're, they're ready to receive visitors and they're in a good right. mood, you're going to get the best chance of getting the result from that. And it also has the strongest influence. And so, for example, Venus talisman you, and, or planetary talisman, you like to have the planet dignified by sign or exaltation or multiple lesser dignities. And then um, sun like rising or at the, or at the midheaven, which is directly overhead. So at the eastern horizon or directly overhead. Mm-hmm. And then the planetary hour. So planetary hours are this system of you start from sunrise to sunset is the day and then sunset to sunrise and you divide this night and day by 12. So in the Northern hemisphere, um, except at the equinox, then you're going to have, they're going to be not 60 minutes. So they'll vary in the time because, you know, the daylight's going to be longer in the summertime. So you kind of need to calculate it. But anyhow, each planet rules, you know, an, you know, set of hours. And so that's a time when that's strong. So you combine all those things that you have strong and essential dignity, you've got rising or culminating and you have planetary hour, that's a very intense moment of, of that planet's energy, so to speak, or that planet's spirit. And you can conceptualize it. You can think of it as a battery and you're charging it. My preference is more that it's like you're contacting the personality of person, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So neither of those is right or wrong. And traditionally there's, you know, you can, there's plenty of support for either one, but I like the, to think of them as people you know? And so that's kind of my very powerful, right? Did you want to show some respect, but nevertheless, there's, there's still, you can have a relationship with them. And so you can, you can do a talisman out of anything. I mean, there are certain materials that are set in the sources and the majority view is that you want to use the material. The minority view, which I follow is that you don't need to use a specific material ruled by mm-hmm. the planet. Um, Thabit Ibn Kura, who is a pretty famous Iranian Sabian, like medieval, um, astrologer, special magician says, you don't have to worry about the timing. I mean, you don't, excuse oh. me, you don't, you, all, you, all you have to worry about is the timing. You don't have to worry about the material so much. You, okay, can make yeah. it out of, you can make it out of gold or silver or copper or whatever you want to do. And that's what I tend to do from a practical standpoint. Because for example, the traditional metals of the planet, like Jupiter, um, um, Venus is copper, right? Okay. Copper is okay as a material. It's very soft. And if you touch it, it's going to turn green immediately. Yeah. I mean, it tarnishes like crazy. Yeah, so, very on your, on your yeah. chest. Or so, I am less, when I'm thinking of it as, is you're doing a combination of things for the maximum power. So if you've got the timing, beautiful, right. And then designs, which also are, you know, you want to have an appropriate design for Venus and there's lots of possibilities for that. And you do the invocation, you're getting a pretty strong talisman. And so 
again, people don't really want a talisman. A copper talisman was impractical in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like, like for example, um, Jupiter's tin, that would be all flimsy, like a tin can. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturn is lead, it's poisonous and it's really <laughs> often flexible. Yeah. Mercury, what are you gonna do with liquid? I mean, you'd have to keep it frozen or something. I mean, it's, I mean, people get, obs- part of, I think the obsession with it is that it's atheistic materialism I and mean, people are focused on material reality, right? Yeah. And I do get it with customers. Some customers will get really, really obsessed with the physical talisman. Like they'll be like, you know, I looked in the back here and I put it under a microscope and there's a little crack here and I'm really worried about that. I'm like, you know what? It's like, it's, they're done by hand, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is going to be a certain amount of, and it's a casting, it's a, you know, it's a process or stamping or whatever, the different processes, it's not going to be perfect, but it's timed perfectly. And it's the right, you know what I mean? So There's a material, but people never worry about, I mean, the timing, I have had more people worry about now that people know more about astrology, but for a long time, people are just really obsessed with the, the look of them. And I'm like, that's not really what it's all about with them. Yeah. I'm glad you're talking about substitutions because reading through the Picatrix, I was like, hmm, you know, well, a little short on bull's blood and gazelle brain. I don't do any of that stuff at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Buddhist, so uh-huh. I don't do anything that has to do with any kind of blood sacrifice or yeah. animal parts or anything like that, because it's just not, there's power in that, but I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, and, um, I'm, same. I do, on the other hand, don't hold with the idea of some kind of coded language. I think that they meant honestly did mean, you know, bu- blood of a black bull. I mean, uh-huh. I think that's what they literally meant. Yeah. And I don't think it would meant all oh, that sage or something. I mean, I've seen that. and I don't think that's probably what they're, you know, um, I mean, so I just don't do it. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't, hundred percent sign on to everything from, you know, whatever, 1700 or a thousand. I mean, like I've, I'm selective in how I do it. I mean, for example, the stuff's all by men. I mean, that's the way the society yeah. was, but it's not to say that women can't do it. It's just, mm. that was their, that was their social setup, but it's certainly mm. no reason why same, for example, people come to me and say, well, I'm gay or, you know, or lesbian or whatever. What about the towels? And I'm like, Venus is love for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't see any differentiation in terms of that. Um, I mean, everyone falls in love. So I don't see any reason, even though the source says, if you want the love of a woman, well, it was written by a man for men. Yes, for sure. But that doesn't mean that that's, that's their limited perspective. It's not like that the thing itself is limited by that. Right. And I don't feel like I have to f- sign on to that either, you know, but I also need to th- throw it out. I mean, just because these guys were, had this biased view, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, for they sure. They had their view on, I mean, they had a, they had their, their blind spots, but they also mm-hmm. had some incredible stuff that they were able to see. So mm-hmm. that's, so that's the thing is what we're doing is like, it's interesting you start off with lineage because I'm a big believer in lineage and I try to get initiated in anything I'm serious about as mm-hmm. a sign of respect. Yeah. Um, and also to be connected spiritually to that. But I don't ultimately, once you're mastering it, I mean, that's what the, the, the two, I think, sort of mistakes that people make are to come in and be very sort of fluffy, bunny, newbie, relativist and do anything I want right from the get go or flip into this sort of like I've had people say, well, you know, that talisman says Mercury in Virgo with this design and using Mercury in Gemini. So that's wrong. I'm like, you know what? It's a little more fluid than that, you know, and that's an appropriate Mercury image. Right. And so the, the sign is not not such a big deal. I mean, you can be a little more loosey goosey about it. Um, but you want to do it from a level of mastery. I mean, if you're making bread, you don't come in on the first time you're learning how to make bread and say, oh, I'm going to throw out the yeast. Well, you'll find out right. why there's no yeast. But once you're a master, you don't need to follow her. My wife, she never uses recipes when she cooks. Never. Yeah, mm-hmm. me either. She's just like, she knows, 
she knows this stuff so well that she can know what to put together. She can just look at whatever ingredients she has and make something amazing out of it. And I think that's, it's that penetrating through the essence of things. Yeah. That's where the philosophy um, is, is in the worldview is important to be conscious of it and to think about the essence of things. But also, again, if you have a modern worldview, you're constantly going to put your foot wrong when you start doing things like that, because you're going to have a materialistic, uh, atheistic approach, right? Like, for example, here's a good example of that. Um, You know, people get the, the whole 13 signs thing, right? Oh, oh yeah. Signs. yeah. And the reason they do that is like, well, you look up in the sky and you see the actual material stars and that's the way they are. So that's the way we have to do the astrology. I'm like, well, that the assumption there is that the powers comes from the physical stars and that the physical is the highest form of reality. In fact, the only form of reality, really, if you push, push on it. And so therefore, an astrology that doesn't conform to the material reality exactly is an inferior astrology. And it's like, wait a second, this is the, the if you do that 13 signs thing, they're all irregular, right? They're yeah. all kind of, the, the, the constellations are all, in, it's hard to figure out what the level, you know, where their borders are anyway. You have some that are like five degrees, others are like 40 degrees. Yeah. All then- kind of irregular 13, whereas the 12 zodiac is perfect. 12 signs, okay. 30 degrees each correspond to the seasons. I mean, it has this incredible order to it. Now, I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, right? But nevertheless, to throw that out because it's not conforming to material reality is basically to be an atheistic materialist. Well, yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, the beauty and the elegance of this system, it to me seems like uh, it's conforming to a spiritual idea. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing, because the material reality is always kind of a little bit messed up. You know, it never can manifest perfectly. Matter, matter resists the imposition of the platonic forms, you know, and that's just the reality of it, which is nothing. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, like I keep recently, I've been kind of bumping my head on stuff. You know, I can tell I'm a little bit out of sorts or whatever, or a little bit discombobulated because I'll bump my head. But it's like, that's material reality. I was bumping into it, you know, <laughs> yeah. whereas the spiritual is perfect, you know, and it, everything fits together perfectly and it's orderly. And so, but we don't see that manifested in, in our material reality all the time. Right. Um, but that's what I'd say about it is that, I mean, if you want to have 13 signs, go ahead, right? That's your thing. But I'm, I'm not going to say that's wrong. I'm just like, but there's, it's not to say what I try to say is let me, let me at least not be wrong. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to say I'm right. Just don't say I'm wrong. Nice. You know? Yeah. Well, and it kind of. It, yeah, it, go just, ahead. it just messes up like the whole, you know, mutable fixed cardinal, well, yeah, and, like exactly. trines and sextiles and squares and like the whole system. Well, let me give you another example of that with the modern stuff is like, you know, Pluto rules Scorpio. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Does that mean we have 10 hours of the day now? We're going to have 10 <laughs> days of the week. You know what I mean? What's Pluto hour? You know what I mean? There is a now, now Pluto isn't even a planet. So, well, well, OK, we'll have to change that around. I mean, that's the thing is it's always in, science is funny because. There's only one right answer, but it's always changing. Like right. cholesterol, yeah. cholesterol's good for you, cholesterol's bad for you. It's that, 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 that. But we'll eventually get to the point where we know everything, and we'll. But for now, we'll have to keep changing our mind every 15 minutes when they do another study, you know. Yeah. And that's so by some corporation that takes 30 <laughs> years to actually yeah. like. Well, that's another problem with that's a more. But I'm just saying, even the uh, perfect yeah, science, right. you know what I mean? It's problematic in that what they think now they didn't think a year ago, right? Yeah. And so it's always in flux. Well, so speaking of uh, imperfection and problems mm. and so on, this is brings me to like you have a very um, specific system for uh, 
giving telling people the right talismans to do. So like you wouldn't want to do a talisman if you're char- if in a planet that's afflicted. So in front- well, in- let me well, back I- away from that because okay. a couple things. First of all, my my methodology is totally idiosyncratic. I mean, it's okay. not coming out of the sources exactly. I mean, we don't have. I can't look up in Picatrix and have them lay out anybody's method, right? Mm-hmm. We've got, for example, Picatrix says if you're doing a working for a planet and that planet is dignified in your chart, it's going to go much better which makes sense. Like I have Jupiter, Jupiter and Pisces, right? So Jupiter talismans, I'm really good at Jupiter talismans, right? Which makes sense. I have a, I have a natural connection to that planet. We have a sort of preset good relationship, right? But that's all they say. Now there's a, a whole different, there's like 50 different ways you could do it. And so mine's a little bit like, well, this is just kind of what I do. It appeals to me. It sort of fits with my experience, but that's as much as I'm going to going to say about it. I'm not going to live or die that this is the right way to do it. The other thing I'd say about it is this is that a lot of people are coming to me and they're scared. They're really, really worried about magic and spiritual stuff in general. I had someone who's like Ooh. petrified about a Venus talisman. I'm like, it's yeah. a Venus talisman. And they're like <laughs> so afraid. And so people are just really scared. And it's like, you know, they've got all sorts of like estrogenic compounds in the plastics that they're, you know, in the electromagnetic fields, they're driving cars. There's, you know, a 30,000 people a year die in a car, a million people, you know what I mean? They don't even worry about that, but, but a talisman, oh my God, they're scared to death. So what I, the way I do is I say, look, look at your chart. And all I look at is basic essential dignity. I don't look at the house placement or aspects, basically just as it's, whether it's in, you know, the, the dignities or also retrogradation and combustion. And so if it's dignified, or at least it has no afflictions, you know, it's not in fall, or detriment, it's not retrograde or combust without dignity, then the talismans are fine of that planet. If it's afflicted, it's like a yellow flag. So you might want to be a little more careful with that. And what's happening is it's going to be a little more unpredictable. You might get a good result. You might get a bad, less good result, bad result, whatever. It's, it's hard to say. I had a guy, for example, that bought a Jupiter talisman once. He came back and he called me up. He said, oh man, the day I got this talisman is so great. I got this new job, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, we haven't even looked at your chart for Jupiter. And I looked at his Jupiter was in Capricorn in fall. And I'm like, oh, so he got a good result out of it. On the other hand, I've had, I had someone recently email me and say, you know what, what you described about talisman, she said, I got, she said, I was going to get a Venus talisman. I think she had Venus in Aries or Scorpio. She said, I got it anyway. I didn't care. And she said, I had a terrible time, but she said, I really did feel like the talisman was trying to help me out. And other people have said to me, students have said, you know, they deliberately did talismans or afflicted in their chart. They had a difficult time but they felt it was spiritually useful. Mm. And so I wouldn't want to get to this thing of like this good, this bad, or like, Oh my God, if you get this talisman, your head's going to explode kind of thing. Cause that's what people are. That's it's a natural to sort of do the black, white, you know, like binary thinking about stuff, good, bad. And also I think people are really scared. And so what I would say about it is I think that the average person should probably, at least in my view, you'd be probably wiser to stick with planets that are dignified in your chart um, or, or unafflicted. But um, again, people have, I mean, people email me and I've said, well, you know, my Saturn sesquiquadrate the galactic vertex, you know, and it's trying <laughs> this. And don't you think that's great? And I'm like, you know what? I just say, you know, that's, if you want to choose it that way, I said, I'm not going to say that's wrong. You know what I mean? But I can't come in and do like people, occasionally people want me to sort of sign off on their thing. And I'm like, I just don't do it that way. I'm just not saying it's wrong. Just don't do it that way. And so that they can be a little disappointed about that. But I wouldn't want to stop somebody from saying, you know, I had somebody recently saying, oh, I got this Mercury talisman. I love it. And I have Mercury and Sagittarius. I'm like, okay, 
like whatever. I mean, it worked fine for them. So it's not so clear cut as it's, a, you know, you're going to die instantly if you get the, if this bad tells <laughs> right. you know, because right. I think that's how people want, people want a right answer. It's confusing yeah, yeah. to students. Like, for example, like orbs, the, in an aspect, it has a certain amount of influence and the closer you get to, to, to an exact aspect, the stronger. So you have an orb of influence and I'm like, whatever, you know, eight degrees, 10 degrees, whatever. People are like, no, exactly how much is this? I say, well, it varies. And they're like, that's hard for people. It's a lot easier to have a set rule that you always follow as opposed to like, like, like with the recipe, right. As opposed to like, right. okay, recipe, if you're a master chef, like I said, you don't need it. You don't need a recipe. You don't follow exact rules, yeah, but you that's because you have a deep, yeah, mastery. you have a deep mastery of it. So and speaking, so you don't go ahead. Uh, speaking of rules and um, in your experience, is it safe to do astro magic with pregnant people or children in a household? Well, see, this is, depends on what your conception of astrological magic is. Because if you said to me, you know, I was thinking of doing a novena to the, um, the, the whole, you know, the, the holy uh, mother of Riga, right? You know, Our Lady of Riga. Is it a problem to do that with children or pregnant women in the house? You'd be like, of course not. You know what I mean? Why would that ever be a problem, right? It's, it's, it's Mary, right? Yeah. This is a saint, you know, this is the, the mother of heaven. But if you're like, you know, I'm thinking of like summoning Lucifer, right? Mm. And Beelzebub and mm. pregnant women in the house. Do you think that's a good idea? Mm. Right. Right. Oh, no. So where does astrological magic call out, fall on that spectrum? Mm-hmm. Right. So it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I guess a couple things. I mean, it depends on what your view of it is, because there's people out there that that are like, you know, astrological magic is like, if you don't do it right, they'll kill you. You know, I've had people say that. And I'm like, am I? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I mean, because I only deal with angelic manifestations, you know, of the planets. I'm like, I'm no way in doing anything. But those are the kind of people that saying, well, yeah, do a, you know, do a blood sacrifice, you know, get get a pork chop. And I'm like, are you kidding? I don't want any spirit in my house that wants meat. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that, so that's that's what I would say about it is that what I'm my focus and part of the thing is if you're a student of mine and you're following what I do, then you're kind of under my wings. You know what I mean? And that's what I say to my students. I'm like, I don't want you doing any malefic magic while you're my student. I mean, like, once you graduate, it's up to you. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. But I said, I know I don't do it as my student because that's yeah. part of my that's my lineage. You know, just as a courtesy. And um, so I just have never had any kind of blowback and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that it's because that's what I'm dealing with. It's angelic. And so if you're if you would be concerned that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose like. You know, the thing like, for example, algal, which is a very powerful protective snow, is a little bit rambunctious. Still, it's protection of, to me, the, of the household, right? Is that that's what you're getting with it is that, you know, it's to you directly if you have the relationship, but it's also going to extend further out to the members of your household, you know? And so I think that that's, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is like, if you're, if you're out there doing death magic, you know, you don't want to be, you know, it's, it's interesting because the first talisman I ever made was pest control talisman. Oh, and yeah. that's sort of like an acceptable use of, it's a curse. I mean, that's what you're doing. It's straight up. It's cursing, which is rats. We had rats in our townhouse in DC. So I did this talisman. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be rats be gone. And the rat got caught in a trap, hmm. got killed. So the other weird thing about it is when I did the talisman, you're supposed to get dirt from the four corners of the house to kind of delineate the boundaries of it. When I was doing that, I started to get really angry all of a sudden. I don't know what, it was really weird. Huh. And it, I think it was the, cause it was a very malefic. And that was like, I'm after that. I'm like, you know what? That's why I don't do. I mean, I don't think, I think pest control is 
you know, it's not unacceptable, but yeah. nevertheless, that's a very malefic, it's a curse. Hmm. And so it's sort of like having, you know, chemicals around the house, you know, like you're going to have like whatever, you know, um, pesticides or something. Yeah. You know, when it was, how are you going to store it? So that's what I would say about it. I think there's also a tendency for people to be like, well, it's not really real. It would be funny. Ha, ha, ha. I'll oh, put deep. a curse on somebody, you know, and if it works great, if it doesn't, if you know, it's not my fault, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, there's a, it's really easy for, again, atheistic materialism to kind of like, you know, it's a joke and it's not really real. And I'll just try to see what happens, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is like going over to someone's house with a two by four and hitting them over the head with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no difference between that and putting a curse on somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is the same thing. And um, so that's another reason why I don't, I don't like the blowback. Yeah. You know, I don't want the side effects of it, but if you're saying you're doing a prosperity, you know, you're doing a Venus talisman or wealth or health or something like that, or all sorts of different things you could be doing. I just don't see that as being problematic for, for the people in your household. That makes sense. Yeah. So what about if you do a talisman and it's having the opposite effect of what you were going for? How do you discharge it or change? Here's uh, the thing. Again, what's you're doing here? It's like you, you, you pray to the Virgin Mary and you didn't get what you wanted. So what are you going to burn the statue? You're going to burn the rosary, <laughs> right? Damn. It's, it's sort of like, it's, it's like an iPad, right? I ordered this iPad. I got it. I tried it. I didn't like it. So I'm going to throw it away. That's, which is perfectly legitimate. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a, a more magical approach. It's a more, you know, but I'm like, what I'm interested in doing is having a long-term relationship with ah, the, with yeah. the spirit. And so I don't have, you know, again, I, I, I can't really say that I've had side effects such that I, now here's what happened to me once. Mm-hmm. This is early on. And I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to make a Jupiter talisman when Jupiter is in detriment and retrograde, but it's still Jupiter hour. It won't, it'll be okay. I made the talisman. As soon as I started making the talisman, I started losing money. I, I, I like, I had like a um, loan forgiveness, right? Which mm-hmm. I thought was great. And then I get this thing from the IRS saying, oh, by the way, because the loan forgiveness, you have an extra like $3,000 of income tax for this year, you know, like, wow. oh my God. and I kept having, and so I did deconsecrate the talisman. Okay. So deconsecration is essentially the opposite of consecration. You invoke the spirit and you say, thanks, that's enough. I really appreciate it, but you're gone now. But again, okay. if it's an iPad, it's just a dead thing. You can just throw it out. Right. But if the talisman is a way of connecting with this living spirit and the mm-hmm. spirits in there, and you're having, it's like a friend. You're like, okay, I don't want you to be my friend anymore. Hmm. I'm done with you. Get out of here. You didn't give me what I wanted. Right. You see what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, absolutely. that's fine if that's your approach, but that's just to me, you can see my, my obvious bias because coming through here, what I think is like, I just don't like that approach. And um, it's, um, you know, but a lot of people necessarily, maybe they don't want a long-term relationship. I mean, that's, that's fine. I mean, mansion of the moon are interesting. For example, I do like, for example, the third mansion of the moon is for all good things seventh mansion also all good things so every every month when the moon goes into the third and seventh mansion i invoke the spirit of those mansions and i've been doing that for years but you can also just do a one-off like a paper talisman and and it's good for like one-off you know quick result kind of thing i mean plenty of people have told me like oh i did the mansion talisman i got this you know it happened really quickly and a paper talisman doesn't have as long it's not as long lasting and if you don't if you don't reconsecrate it or recharge it or whatever it's it's going to fade off Huh. So that's another okay. way to do that too. But, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. So I, so I sent it back to Amazon, you know, yeah. that's like, well, I mean, I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, what's the purpose of this anyway? Yeah. Get me what I want. 
you know, and it's like, that's just, again, it's just fine, but I'm drawn to a more of a, this idea of this is, like I said, this is part of my spiritual practice. Yeah. More theurgic. Yeah, exactly. So this brings us to mansions of the moon. Um, they're really interesting. Uh, we've been reading up on them and I'm, I'm taking your course and, uh, my lesson right now is on, on the mansions of the moon. We cool. don't really hear about them very much. Yeah. I have a lot of cancer and I feel like reading the mansions of the moon book really resonates with me. I'm like, yeah. Oh wow. Like this is explaining so much. <laughs> As a preliminary I- thing for talismans. Mm-hmm. I'll look at someone's moon. If their moon is afflicted and I'm like, well, you maybe be careful with the mansions because oh. it's lunar. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I would do another divination of yeah. some kind, but it's kind of like if, you, but if your moon's really strong, when you have a strong connection to the moon and the, the mansion of the moon are really a lunar Zodiac, you know, yeah. just the, the sun pat goes through the sky. If you looked up in the sky at the apparent path of the sun it's called the ecliptic and it passes through the 12 constellations that are the signs. And so that's what that is. So it's a way of, of delineating the orbit of the sun, right? Now, the moon does the same thing once a month, as opposed to once a year for the sun. Once a month, the, earth, um, the moon orbits the earth and passes through the 28 mansions. So that's a, it's 27.5 days. So it's interesting because in the Vedic astrology, they have 27 nakshatras or 27 mansions, whereas in the, the Arabic Western, which is what we use, it's 28. Either one makes sense from 27 and a half. So it's a, it's, a, it's a lunar cycle. And like I said before, it's a complete cycle of reality, right? And the moon, so the moon's in each, each mansion, like depending on, you know, how, how the, she's orbiting, you know, less or more than a day, approximately a day. And each of the mansions is like, um, has different lords, you know, or ladies, you know, I, I, it's funny how it's funny, the gender stuff, like the third mansion is a, the image is a woman. So I'm like, that's a, she's, it's a woman. Right. So it's a it's gendered. I mean, I don't think the spirits are gendered the same way humans are. They're more archetypal, you know, mm. but nevertheless, there's a sort of quality to that. So they, and then our sources have different, there's lots of different sources. That's what people get very confused with that. They'll take, well, this book says this and this one says that. And I'm like, yeah, those are different sources. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because of my Mercury background, but I like paradox and ambiguity. But <laughs> it does, it does kind of bum people out because they'd be like, well, you know, this one, because someone recently said I was, forget what it was. Oh, 26th mansion. Um, 26th mansion in, in Picatrix book four, chapter nine has got all the, ta- have the talismans. It's got images. Um, it's got w- what image you make, materials, incense, the effect, and then the name of the mansion lords. And so it's really full information as far as making talismans. So the 26th mansion there is for love. And, and then there's another source, though, Picatrix Book 1, Chapter 4, that just gives a lot of different things. And one of the things it says, you can make talismans for various purposes. So it's like, not for sea voyages. So she's like, well, what about this and this? I'm like, well, they're, they're contradictory. So that's just the way it is. <laughs> it's like, people are like, what's the right answer? I'm like, oh, they're both right. <laughs> Which, yeah. again, flips people out. I'm like, no, it's just, you know, which one are you drawn to? I mean, for me, I stick with the book four, chapter nine, because it's so much more information there. I mean, book one, it just says make talismans for the purpose. And it doesn't give you any information on how to make those talismans. And then what people do is sort of mix and match. Like, well, you know, it says here is for this. And I'll use the image from that one. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it'll work. But my feeling is like, you want to stick to the source, mm-hmm. you know, and the ambiguity just, like I said, doesn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess it's probably my, like, like I said, it's Hermes Trismegistus or whatever, because I'm just like, <laughs> I like paradox. I mean, like, cool. I mean, it's, yeah, it's different. Yeah. But um, so Picatrix is a, key, uh, a, 
a pretty key source for the mansions. And the mansions really appear to have been magically used. I mean, mm -hmm. people ask about natal, and it's like there's one I have one little natal thing, and it'll be like one of them was like the moon in this mansion and natal chart means everything tastes bad to you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like I don't know if that, but it's not true either. I mean, that's not yeah. true that everyone with the moon in that man. I mean, it's it's just like one thing too. Like, oh, you'll be happy all the time. I'm like, really? Mm. Probably not. So really, I think they're they're magical. I mean, that's their primary purpose, and they have a lot of different, you know, a lot of interesting, you know, things you can do, like um, like talismans for protection of plants, the 25th mansion, you know, protection of your herds. I forget that one, whatever that one is, you know, wealth, love, and then some bad ones too, like death and devastation and destruction and things like that, which I, I avoid. I don't make any of those, mm -hmm. but um, lots of really interesting stuff. Yeah. There's so, one for the protection of your uh, trees and plants. Yes. 25th, cool. 25th yeah. mansion. It's funny because somebody asked me about that recently. And I said, well, I said, we made them once because I wanted one for my garden, but mm. I said, there's just not enough demand. Mm, yeah. People, and, if they're going to pay for it, they want like wealth or love or whatever. But, right. But it might be helpful for somebody who has like a ginseng. Well, if you're going to make your own, but this yeah. is the thing about, what's beautiful about that is that you can do it for yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you can make it a paper talisman. Any material really is basically that can take on its final form at the elected time. Right. You so you don't have to get fig wood though. You, that might be. You bad. could if you wanted yeah. to. I mean, like I said, it's sort of like the way I think of it is this is like if I have a friend coming over and I know they love this particular kind of cake. Mm -hmm. And I went and got that particular kind of cake from them. They'd be like, oh, that's really nice. But if you gave them something to eat, that'd be nice. Right. Sure. And so I, that's what I'd say about the, to me about the materials and everything. It's like, you know, it's nice, but I don't think that they're, if you'd make it otherwise properly in terms of the right design and timing and invocation and everything, you're still going to be able to get some, you know, power from the talisman. I don't think it's, I think the timing to me that the key, the most important things are the timing and the invocation of the spirit. Yeah. If you leave those out, you don't have an astrological talisman, whereas the materials are, you know, it's, you can add some power to it with it. But, seem, but that's my view. Yeah. yeah. The mansion of the moon just seems so useful. And I'm wondering how they fell out of popularity and like calm uh, in current astrological culture. Like, how is it lost? A couple things that, again, if you think about what you're, the, the, I was just talking about the transmission, right? Uh -huh. So, Basically, the, the medieval Renaissance astrology that I practiced died out about 1700. Hmm. And so it's reborn as, like I said, predominantly natal astrology and very sort of psychologically or character-based, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I first started making talismans, nobody wanted to touch it. I mean, astrologers really do not like magic for, as a most, for the most part. I mean, they're much more comfortable watching things unfold and predicting or whatever than doing magic. That just gives them the heebie-jeebies. And so... Um, and then the magicians, the magicians are into it. What the magicians don't like about astrological magic is they have to wait till a particular time. They're impatient. They don't want to do that. They want to do it. Like, it's will. They yeah, I have my will. I want to, I have my, yeah, I'm a powerful. I'm going to do what I want. So that's another hermetic thing is that I think astrological magic is kind of cool because you must exert your will, but only at specific times. And that actually makes for a stronger will, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think so too, but, but that's why it's, it's easier to teach a magician astrology than an astrologer to be a magician. Mm. There's, yeah. I mean, you, they have to learn it, but it's like they don't have the psychological block. Astrologers, and it's not true of everybody, in particular younger people now, the community, it's getting much more open. But the baby boomer types, you know, the, what I was dealing with, they just, they, they did not want to deal with it. It was, they're like, you're making us look bad. I mean, we're, we're scientific. We want to wear turtlenecks and sit in an office and get insurance reimbursements for doing this. And you're making <laughs> us look bad. You know, this magician stuff is like, it's very, it's superstitious. And it's, it's I'm like, it's all the same. I mean, the, 
the spiritual causality is the same, whether it's passive in astrology or active in a magical thing. To me, yeah. it's all the same. Mm-hmm. But um, so the the reason that people don't do with mansions is they're, you got to figure them out. I mean, right. beyond like moon phase that people got that, right? But like planetary hours, oh boy, that blows people's mind. I mean, you got to go figure out your time. You got to figure out the time of sunrise, figure out the time of sunset and divide by 12, which yeah. you, know, you, gotta, you got to basically have to calculate by seconds to get it accurately. So you got to convert everything into seconds and figure out how many, you know, and do it. And that people don't want to do that. Um, but the two that were usually used the most, even by magicians were moon phase, moon and signs, and then planetary hours, mm-hmm. right? But anything beyond that was a little too sophisticated. So that's, again, what I'm doing is my stuff is really, if you want to do astrological magic, you need to do a full chart election. So you need to be able to read a chart to do it. And, um, you know, people will like, you can use software and stuff, but it's like, yeah, even the software I have is like, it's not accurate. You know, you need to check it. It's like a finding tool. You need to check it with a full chart. And um, wow. a lot of stuff is location specific too. I mean, yeah. the moon is in the mansions for everybody in the entire world. So all you have to do is adjust for your time zone, right? But if you're talking about like the moon rising, then that's only going to be different depending on your location. So you'll have to actually look at a chart to be able to do that. So a lot of the stuff fell out because the astrological technique was not available anymore, right? And so mm, people, yeah. and then when, when people were interested in magic again, um, there just was nobody to teach them how to do this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's so very that, complicated. It's just very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The astrological, I mean, traditional astrology is, I mean, astrology, modern astrology is pretty, you know, it's on the heavier end of the new age stuff. Right. Whereas right. traditional astrology is like times 10. I mean, it's yeah. very, very complex. So it's just, if I didn't have software, I wouldn't be doing it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's but just, it's, if I had to do it by hand, I don't, I wouldn't be able to do it. Too much it work. Is it that much more powerful though? Like I, did you also study uh, Southern conjure or like other folk magic? Tradition? I started off with, with hoodoo and root work because there was no authentic magical practice to go along with the astrology. Now, uh, yeah. once we translated Picatrix, then we had, we had these invocations, right? Uh-huh. We had a lot of, we had a ton of ritual to work with. And so that, and it gave a lot of, it gave a lot more explanation of how to do the ritual. And so that's why I stopped doing the root work so much. The other thing about root work is it's a, it's, it's got that whole, you know, both positive and negative stuff. And yeah. so I didn't want to be, I don't curse people or, you know, yeah. do breakup spells or things like that. I mean, the, I do have that course called astrology for root workers because there was a, a good amount of astrology that was sort of imported into root work and particularly, um, you know, the astrological man where you map the body to the signs, like, so the head is Aries and the neck is Taurus and the shoulders are Gemini all the way down to your feet, you know, which are Pisces. Mm. And you would put the moon in the sign if you want to f- uh, affect that body part, either for healing or for negative purposes. Mm. Like so if you had a headache, you could do moon Aries. Have you seen like a corresponding uh, power between the astrological magic and like more folk magic traditions? You can basically what you would, I, what I was doing with a stru- with a hoodoo was you could punch up the power of things. So uh-huh. for example, you do a mojo hand for wealth, right? Yeah. You know, and you could do a Jupiter petition paper mm. and then do the invocation on, you know, Thursday at sunrise with the Jupiter petition paper and put it in a mojo hand. Right. Mm, so essentially what you're doing is you're doing wealth magic. Cause here's the thing about hoodoo is that what it basically is, is uh, African diaspora magical technique, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the African diaspora gods along with it. 
It's been severed from that. Whereas if you look at the Vudan, or it's not, you shouldn't call it Santeria. I, I, I need to figure out the better term for it. But if you look at the other African diaspora religions, they didn't lose the gods. And so that's, you know, whereas most people that are doing, even if you're African-American and you're doing root work, you're going to be in a somewhat Christian or spiritualist perspective. Yeah. Like the Psalm 23 is just ubiquitous. Yeah. And there's a lot of European elements that have been imported into it, like, you know, the Bibliomancy or the Psalms and, you know, things like that. So it's probably 75% African with 25% of admixtures. You know, you've got also Native American stuff put into it. So the astrology was kind of a natural, it's already there. Like I have that, um, what's his name? Um, the big series that he was a, a, a a minister that went around in the thirties and collected all the stuff. I'm freaking uh -huh. blanking on his name. It's a yeah. five volume series of all this different who or root work that he collected from people. And there's a good amount of astrology in there. And so that's what I sort of ex excerpt for my course was uh, they don't do mansions. Now I, I, you could do mansions of the moon too, but it was mostly planetary stuff. And cause they were using moon signs and, and of course they do the, the moon phase, you know, the, the waning and waxing moon. That's, yeah. that's pretty standard for everybody to use that most basic timing. Um, well, so, but just in general, like astrological magic is so complicated, like doing these talismans compared to um, some of the other more folk magic uh, spells or for instance, mm -hmm. um, is it worth it? Like <laughs> how much, like, that's, that's it, a decision you'd have to make. I mean, yeah. You know, it's one of those things of like, one of the advantages of like, for example, chaos magic or affirmations is those are using your personal magical power, mm -hmm. right? Which, which everyone has, you know, and some people have more than others, people are more focused, but that's, it's just limited to you. When you use astrological magic, you're, you're tapping into the power of the planet, right? Which is immense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't imagine how much that must be. Right. So that's just what I, what I like about you know, one of the things I, I think is a good selling point for astrological magic, or at least astrological timing is punch up what you're already doing. Right. If you're going to do a well spell, do it on Jupiter day, Jupiter hour. Right. And you're going to increase, it's like hitting the sweet spot. Yeah. You know, you're going to increase the power of it because you're getting at the timing. Right. And then if you do so, it while Jupiter's in Pisces, it's even that. Yeah. Much if you want to do it, you just add into it. You know, it's not like, Oh, no. I can't do it at all. If I don't do it like all the way, you know, mm. it's like, it's not, the stuff that I'm doing, I mean, the, the astrological magic course probably takes a year. It's like a graduate school course, right? So it's some serious stuff, but you know, you could even hire me to do an election for you, or there's also software, you know, which again, you know, you can't entirely trust it, but if you don't know how to do it yourself, it's like, that's better than nothing. And um, yeah, but it's, whether it's worth it or not, it's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a, you have a point of diminishing returns. Uh -huh. Like you, you make more and more and more effort and you get less and less and more, less out of it. But to me, it's like, um, you know, that's basically back to what am I getting out of it? You know, I mean, it's yeah. like sort of like, you know, it's bang for your buck. It's like, well, that's, you know, I, I, it definitely increases the power of stuff. I mean, that's what, one thing that people have said to me is like, if somebody comes to me and they're an experienced magical user and they, you'll get, get an election or they do a talisman, they'll typically be like, oh my God, I couldn't believe how powerful it was. Right. right. Really supercharging and focusing the timing of things. And that really does enhance their magical practice. But there's plenty of people that don't bother with it. I mean, there's people that are doing Jupiter talismans and pay no attention at all to Jupiter's, you know, astrological, you know, condition, which seems a little nuts to me. But yeah, but by doing enough ritual, I mean, they're doing really honking rituals. Right. Mm -hmm. It compensates. So it's not like there's no 
that's what I, what my view of it is, is like, it's not like if I leave something out, it'll blow up or won't work. It's just, it's not as powerful if you don't have as many things added into it. Yeah. You and know, I guess you also make a choice about what you want to add into it or leave out. And I guess also it's easier to do more, th- um, theological theurgy stuff with, uh, astrological stuff than with folk magic stuff. Well, I mean, like, you can't like, yes, do it doesn't lend itself. Folk magic is to get stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, you don't have, it's hard to do theory. Now here's the thing. The reality with that is that the folk magic normally would not have been severed from the, the right. God. From the gods. Yeah. As long as you're just, that's just part of the, for the traditional person, that would just be part of the package. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And you would have had that connection to the gods. You would have been doing festivals. You've probably been doing, you know, astral, you know, equinox or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You would have been part of this whole seasonal round of things. You would have been tied into this whole thing. And so, and, and that, in that sense, you don't even need to do theurgy because your whole life is sacred. Mm, For yeah. a lot of traditional s- societies, there's no separation between the sacred and the profane. You know, mm-hmm. everything is sacred. You know, every moment is, and that's what I like to, to be, I mean, as much as I can to be in that sense of like sacred moment of everything. Yeah. And um, that's, um, you know, and even the bad, like taking the garbage out or, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, that doesn't mean that that's bad stuff doesn't happen, but it's, it's sacralized, you know, yeah. part of the whole picture. So, yeah, well, this has been really uh, an amazing conversation so far. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. Um, so, but we should probably start getting, getting towards the end here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, we could talk a little, maybe a little bit about what, what you can do with astro- astrological magic uh, for gardeners and herbalists, maybe just briefly. Or Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's, there's obviously, I think a lot of people use the phases, moon phases, right? And it's funny because yeah. I've actually, it's funny, I did a, I was thinking, was it phase? I think I did, it was, when I do Mansion of the Moon, I do look at the phase as well because it's a moon, right? So I want to get the right phase. So waxing is it's not like waxing good and waning bad. It's waxing's increase and waning's decrease, which I think a lot of people know. But also there's even stuff like the Picatrix says that wax, a waning is good for wisdom, right? And it's also Hi. good for paying debts back. If you want to pay a debt back, you should do it during waning moon. So it has a lot yeah. more, it's a lot more complexity and even parts of the cycle, like the first quarter versus the second quarter, you know, things like that. So it's, there's, there is even with a moon phase that there's a lot of, of, of complexity that can come into it. Um, I, I was thinking about it, was walking today and I was thinking, I think I remember making uh, or planting on a moon mansion with waxing moon to get some seeds to germinate. Cause I've been having trouble getting germination going. And when I did that, I had like almost hundred percent germination. Wow. And so there's a lot of timing stuff. I mean, you've got that whole Culpepper's English physician, yeah, yeah. right? That's astrological. And so it keys into the whole traditional Galenic medicine and that sort of stuff too. So, but there's a lot of my course, the green magic course has, a, I mean, I excerpt a bunch of sources on that and there's a ton of, you know, like old farmer's almanac kind of yeah. level and the fo- of Foxfire. Yeah. Foxfire stuff in terms of like, you know, this is appropriate for planting things, find the planetary rulership of it. If you're going to pick herbs, you want to do it on the appropriate hour, planetary hour for that particular herb when you're going to collect it, things like that. So there's a lot of, essentially, here's the thing about it is that astrology is a way of orienting yourself and orient means East, right? So you're going to, it's like the Eastern horizon, like it's, it's, it's orienting yourself to the underlying spiritual cycles, right? And you obviously want to be in tune with those. 
particularly for someone doing gardening. And that's what's gardening is a classic metaphor for astrological magic because the conditions must be right, but you have to also take action. Mm, right. Yeah. But if you want to say, I want to harvest tomatoes now, you can't do it now. You know, it's not the right conditions for it. So whatever your will is, it doesn't matter. At the same time, if you don't step up and do the work, right. And understand the forces you're not. So that's classic. And so definitely if in gardening, or any kind of ecological stuff, the, the, the astro- uh, astrology is wonderful because it's allowing us this traditional Western esoteric means of orienting ourselves. And so beyond just the material, orienting ourselves to these spiritual cycles as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, like I said, with my, my little germination thing, I was kind of amazed. I remember doing that going, oh my God, I think I was, I was getting like 10% or 20% germination. And I did that and I got 100%. I was like, wow, that really did work. And um, you know, I think I kind of did it offhandedly and um, I was I was very much, I was happily surprised with that. But there's a ton of traditional farming stuff that's astrologically based because everything was. I mean, yeah. go back to pre 1700 and everybody, you know, astrology was just part of. I mean, if you're a doctor, for example, it was very astrological. You know, it was part of medicine and and diagnosis and cure and everything. And, and Shakespeare, if you look at Shakespeare, it's like he's got just it's it's embedded and so essentially that's what happened. You know, this whole you know, set by the Reformation and then also into the Enlightenment is this ripping apart of the society, right? The traditional knowledge and traditional bonds were just ripped apart. And that's how we have consumer capitalism, yeah. right? Because everyone's sort of alienated individual. And that's just part of the, the process. And that's what we needed that to get the internet. <laughs> I mean, as a, yeah, seriously, yeah. I joke that sometimes it's like we had to do all this crazy stuff and so we could have the internet, you know, and now so we can this, go back and sort of pick up where we left off. Have all this synthesis now yeah. before the internet goes away. In yeah. Next. Well, see, years. That's, I'm glad you say it. Well, it won't be that long. Yeah. I mean, might be internet's less. very short shelf life because think of the energy the servers, I mean, right? The, yeah. yeah. The server farms. It's just like, just in terms of the, the grid. I mean, the whole thing with Texas, right. it's like, look how fragile the grid is, yeah. you know, and that you wouldn't have to have much more, you know, if you had a couple of those happening, you have, we got some trouble. Yeah. So that's a whole nother, you know, that's kind of like, you know, it's amazing. I love we can do podcasts and all this sort of stuff, but it's like, this is a very fragile, you know, yeah. what yeah. we're able to do. So yeah. it's kind Favorite. of cool to be putting out this cool stuff on it as yeah. opposed to like the, all the other crazy stuff that you could be doing, you know, right. conspiracy theories or craziness that you could be doing now. And like, well, I, I really like podcasts because it gets back to that oral tradition kind of, you know, but you can have a conversation where hundreds, thousands of people can listen, you know? Well, it's not controlled by the gatekeepers. Yeah. yeah. The only problem with that is all the insane yeah. <laughs> people are not controlled by the gatekeepers either. Right. And there's a lot of those too. So that's, so that's a lot of people problem. think we're insane. So. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying too. So it's like, that's why I'm not willing to come in and, you know, but it's sort of like, it's, I think that, you know, I really love, I couldn't do what I did without, this incredible efflorescence of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's people say, Oh, I did this or that. And I'm like, really, you're part of the patterning, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I played a little tiny role, you know, like I said, I started this, the, the, the little pebble rolling downhill. And it's so amazing now to see how astrological magic has developed in this incredible diverse community and so many different approaches. And it's like, I think that, you know, I have my own way of doing things, but there's, it's just sprung up. There's many different ways, which is really wonderful. And it's really kind of, it makes me happy because for a long time I was the only one. And now it's like, you start off saying I was the foremost in the world. I'm like, I don't even know if that's true anymore. I'm up there, right? Maybe top 10, 
but it's nice to be in that position. It's nice to be to, to see how this has all kind of grown. And it's wonderful to see the so many people interested and in, and in waking up and finding out about it and using it and 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 getting turned on in many different ways. So I, I just really am I'm pleased to that's why the podcast stuff is great for me because you know I get a little isolated. I'm kind of Saturnine. And um, it's nice to be have contact with people and nice to hear about stuff. And people are always emailing and say, oh, I heard the podcast or, you know, this or that. And that's been really great in terms of just getting in touch with all sorts of cool people. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's been great for us, too, to be able to do that. So um, so I'm taking a couple of your courses and you have all these wonderful courses on Renaissance Astrology. .com. Do you think you could just say a little bit about your courses and your books and your website? Yeah, sure. Sort of the stuff, it's like renaissanceastrology.com is my website. It's it's huge. It's ancient too. For a website, it's like 20 years old. It's really kind of crazy. And um, it's bla a blast from the past in, in a number of ways. But um, I've got, I think, 800 pages on the website. It's crazy. And um, I offer all sorts of different stuff. So if you just are interested, you can just go surf around on the website for hours looking at all sorts of translations and writings and things like that. But I have um, courses. So I have um, full courses, which are sort of like a taking a college course that sort of deal with the whole realm of the, that area, like horary astrology, you know, which is questions or natal astrology, birth chart, or the astrological magic course is probably my specialty. And I teach the whole range of different types of astrological talismans and all the astrology that you need to learn to, to do it. And then I have some mini courses and mini courses are sort of meant to give you a little intro, give you something you can immediately start working with practically put to use. Um, but a, you know, like a small subsection, like the planetary magic mini course does planetary hours and starts to introduce you to the whole idea of planetary rulership and things like that. Mansion, the moon course mansions, but just does the moon in the appropriate mansion, not all the full chart stuff. So those are cool. Um, I also, I've got bunches of books. I mean, I helped with John Greer to translate Picatrix, which is sort of the key text of, of astrological magic. Um, that's available through Amazon or directly through the printer. I have a bunch of different versions of it you can take a look at. Um, I've got various books. A newest book is on fixed stars. So that was a, that yeah. book came out like about a year ago, I think something like that. So that's cool. Um, and then I have talismans. So I have an incredible selection of talismans. We just keep making more and more. I think I have over a hundred different types of astrological talismans. And um, so if you're interested in talismans, good thing to do would be to email me with your birth date. Uh, don't just do that for fun, but if you're serious about buying the talisman, cause I have to like, actually takes me some effort to do it. But if you want to buy a talisman for me, feel, you know, please go ahead and email me your birth date and let me check to see which ones are compatible. That's definitely the way to go as far as that. And um, so all sorts of different stuff, but renaissanceastrology.com is definitely the place to, to check that out and just see what I'm, what I've been doing for the past 20 years. And um, it's, it's funny because I was, I do my own web stuff and it's like, I recently had been doing like mobile response, making mobile responses. So like, I think about 170 mobile responsive pages. The rest of it is just like HTML. So it's not super flashy or whatever, but it's, it gets the job done. Yeah. And um, it's funny with the website stuff. Cause I was thinking recently about like, maybe I should do WordPress or whatever, but then I'm like, I don't know if I want to dance to Google's tune. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe I don't want to spend my whole life trying to like rearrange my website to make Google happy. And maybe I'll just have to accept that I'm going to be continually dropping in the search rankings or whatever, because it's yeah. like, I want to have my own thing, but I think, I think there's that, something nostalgic about that old style of uh, website though, too. You know, I like it. Well, you know, it's funny cause I don't like clean design. Yeah. yeah. All the websites all, and what they're all, they're all optimized for phones. 
And mm -hmm. so if you want to read, like some of my pages have all these, you know, page after page of like translation on it. I don't know if reading on the phone is the easy, you know, or pictures, I can't even see anything. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it doesn't, the phone really lends itself to like Twitter and ordering pizza mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but it's not such a good way to get deeply into things. Now you can, it's not stopping you, but it just doesn't lend itself. I think as easily as a desktop or laptop, but yeah. it's just one of those things of like, you know, I'm kind of st uh, stuck in the past. Now the advantage for me is that I do all the coding myself. So I do all my web maintenance myself. So that worries me about if I had to hire somebody, I'd lose them or, be, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, so it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, I think every day we get handed a, a bunch of Rubik's cubes, little problems we have to work with. And that's kind of the joy of, of living is like having all these problems to solve. And hopefully they're not too difficult, but mm -hmm. if you had no problems and you get in not much fun, but I'm just really <laughs> blessed because I mean, I get to do, I get to be an astrologer, you know, that's kind of amazing. And it's like very sort of 21st century. And I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people. If you are interested in these areas, you know, you can do it for fun. You can even do it semi or even fully professionally. So mm -hmm. it's a really wonderful, you know, opportunity and a lot of exciting things. It's a wonderful time to be doing that. 50 years ago, this would have been not so much fun. Whereas now it's like an incredible, like I said, mm -hmm. sort of explosion of interest and, all, and just an exciting community to be involved with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, um, we've, yeah, we've had a great conversation. I'd love to have you on again. We can get more in depth onto. Oh yeah. I'd be happy. I mean, this was a fun, I mean, you guys had great questions. Thanks. It was a lot of fun and mm. I definitely would be happy to, to do it again. Cool. Okay. Well, well, thank you very much, Chris. And I hope you have a good day. All right. Great. Take it easy.